see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Welcome to the Art Box, and today we have a guest we've been waiting a long time to get in the chair across from us. That's George Galt. He's an outgoing city councilman. He's very involved in the STEAM Center, and we'll talk a little bit about the STEAM Center. So, Linda, what's been happening with you? We haven't, it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, sat down and done a podcast. It has. I'm doing great, Steve. I just flew in from Missouri last week, and that was quite an adventure. My plane got to the gate two minutes after the last shuttle for Mesquite was getting ready to take off. So my husband called, asked them to wait. The flight attendants let me move up to the very front seat of the plane and be the first off. Oh, you got to fly first class? Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) On the runway? (laughs) And um, so anyway, once I got out off the plane, I actually ran in the Las Vegas airport, dragging my carry-on behind me and having a backpack on. And the first thing I thought of was, I'm really out of shape. I need to practice running more. I made the shuttle, but it's been quite an adventure, and I'm glad to be here. Well, the first thing I think of is the old O.J. Simpson commercials. Not to compare you with O.J. Simpson, (laughs) but to seeing you jump over a bag and make your roller follow you. Okay, well now I have incentive to train harder for all of this. (laughs) How about you, Steve? What have you been up to? I've been busy, 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 and I've been working on the the land art project for the Barrick Museum of Art, along with Nevadans for Cultural Preservation, and been having a really good time with that. In fact, we were on Gene Dry Lake Bed the other day with four artists, and they were interesting. They were out doing their stuff. There was one who was sitting there, and I was taking pictures of them. There was one sitting there with a piece of paper on the playa, the dry lake bed, who was running her pencil over getting a picture, if you will, on a piece of paper of the dry lake bed. Oh. Yeah. There was there was another lady who took her chair away from the rest of us, and I went over to get her picture, and, and she was a poet, and she entertained me with a little poetry. A little four-line poetry. That was good. And Interesting. I'll, yeah. Other than that, I've been waiting for you to get back so we can do a podcast. Oh, and here we are. Here I am. And today we have George Galt with us. How are you doing, George? Not too bad. Glad to be here. Hi, George. Hi, Linda. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, George? I grew up in Houston. Went to school and college in San Antonio at Trinity University. Many years later, got a master's degree from the University of Northern Colorado. Worked for the federal government, state government. Most of my career has been public administration, one way or another. Everything from running a state agency to 
working as a county planner and county administrator in western Colorado. Okay, what county was that? Delta County. Okay. Just south of Delta, of uh, Grand Junction. Yeah, I love Grand Junction. Yeah. And we, and we live, my wife and I lived in Colorado, my family, the wife, kids, I, we lived in Colorado. Well, Linda, a and lot. I, Linda and I met and got married in Grand Junction, so I'm partial to it. Okay. Yeah, and we love Grand Junction. Grand Junction's another spot, good place for the arts. Yes. So how long have you been married? Depends on whose version you take. Oh. <laughs> I got married in 1988, so I think that's about 36 years. And I count the two years before when we were, you know, getting, getting acquainted and so on. Sure, I would uh, too. Yeah, but Linda only counts the official years. Okay. So, so you were from Colorado, went to school in Colorado. Um, got my master's degree at the University of Northern Colorado, yeah. Okay. So where'd but you grow up at? In Houston. You, oh, you grew up in Houston? Yeah. You were there for a while then? Yeah, until I graduated from college. Oh, okay. And then uh, it was kind of interesting. I went to work for the federal government in the war, in the war on poverty. You know, Lyndon Johnson was president and I was a Texas kid and got hired to do that. And I worked in the VISTA program for several years. And when I first went, for, when I first came back to Houston as an, a federal employee, I'd grown up there and I couldn't find my way around because they had built the interstate system in the years that I had been in college. Oh, wow. <laughs> Changed that quick, huh? Oh, yeah. It was, it was something else. And, Linda has the same experience. She grew up in Las Vegas, and when we go down to Vegas, if we get out of the neighborhood she grew up in, we're sort of, you know, relying on our Google Maps and so on. Uh, don't we all rely on our Google Maps yeah, now? Boy, I do. Yeah, and then when it gets messed up, yeah, uh, what's it say? Um, making make the next legal U-turn. Make <laughs> right. the next legal U-turn. Yeah, right. I, I like it when I can set it up so that it speaks to me in my hearing aids. That That's really nice, but I can't do it consistently. Yeah. So maybe one of these days I'll get that figured out. What got you out of Houston? Oh gosh, uh, college. Really never went back and then my parents moved up to Dallas and then later to... Uh, was that a bad thing? Was there some... Was there anything going on there that no. they lived in Houston and they went to Dallas? Oh, my dad was an architect, and yeah. uh, he was designing a big project up in Dallas, and so they decided to go up there. And then he later decided that he uh, found a partner, and they were building shopping centers in 10 states in the South back in the day when you could anchor a strip mall with a 40,000-square-foot Walmart. My dad would go to the... American Society Shopping Center. Anyway, there's a big shopping center convention in Vegas that he would go to every year. He'd stand in the corner and wave a Walmart lease, fill up his shopping center. Oh, wow. And, and they moved to Rogers, Arkansas, which is just down the street from Bentonville, where the headquarters of Walmart is. And, and Dad and his partner bought a piece of ground directly across the street from the headquarters of Walmart and put a sign up that said Galton Associates. And his, he, he sort of casually knew Mr. Walton. They were both elders in the Presbyterian Church. 
not the same church, but yeah. Um, and and Dad's theory was if Sam had to walk out his door to get in his old pickup truck every afternoon, and he had to see that sign that said Galton Associates, it'd be easier to do business. Sure. I don't, I don't know if that worked, but it was a great theory, and I was really sorry that when my father died, that property got sold. Yeah. No Walmart ever went. No, Walmart. no more Walmart stuff. Hey, well, George, I don't want to. We don't want to get out of your telling us about your youth and growing up here. But I do have a question, because we were talking about it the other day with some people. Whatever happened to malls? To what? To malls? malls. There's no more malls. Malls are out of, we, we, yeah. we, were, we were strip malls, and then we were malls. Yeah. And we're not, I don't think we're back to strip malls. We're kind of, can I say upscale, upscale strip malls. Yeah, and from what I'm reading, the, the malls are being repurposed for all sorts of things. We have a mall here, Mesquite Shopping Center, is, you know, now going to be a steam center, which is yeah, science, technology, engineering, and math with arts and agriculture in, added in. That's the A. The A is not only for the arts, but because Mesquite's history is an, as an agricultural community. Have you ever read the statue, the text on, on the statue at the corner of the city hall? Mm-hmm. You're the only guy I know who's ever done that besides myself. Yeah, I got I got some pictures of it, too. Yeah. If, if you go across the street to Elspeth Museum, uh-huh. um, we have a picture. Right I love it. I took a picture of her, and I entered it in the art gallery's poster contest last year. Okay. And, and then, I, then it disappeared, and I was wondering what happened. Well, Elspeth bought it. And I went in there and saw it, and she said, hey, can you get a picture of, and his name was um, something left. Abbott. Uh, yeah. And she said, can you get a picture of him for me? So I, I took a picture of him. We worked, her and I worked on the background. So if you go in there now, you'll the fireplace on either side is that statue. Oh, okay. But broken off into two pictures and with, with interesting backgrounds. Well, I thought the, the remarkable thing was that what struck me was that in 1905, I think it was, Mesquite's Grapes and Cotton won prizes at the San Francisco Fair. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, why do we have Grapevine Lane here? Well, we and, have, I have an interesting story about that. I was out in Gold Butte one afternoon, ran into a man named Sam Reber. We were both just standing around waiting on our families to go trek up and look at the petroglyphs. So we introduced ourselves and had started a conversation. Sam told me that Grapevine Estates was his family farm. It's 150 acres of Thompson seedless grapes. Was oh it really? And they would take them, they'd turn them into raisins and take them to St. George and turn them in, trade them for potatoes. Really? Yeah. And then. What a story. Yeah. Years later, uh, when I was working with Mesquite Regional Business, we had a a team of potential investors here from Israel that wanted us. We were working with them on a hydroponic deal, and they actually brought a vintner from Israel to see if the soil would work for grapes. And I kept saying, you don't need to do that because I can tell you that you can grow grapes here. I mean... Award-winning grapes. Yeah, all kind of people have grape vines in their backyard and harvest more than they can eat. <laughs> kind of fun, but anyway. The whole thought of early 1900s growing cotton, because Brigham said they were going to grow cotton, and it made sense. You know, they had to make their own fabric because you couldn't go to the store and buy it. But 
it was largely the purview of the women and the kids. And I just can imagine a woman out in one of those long dresses in the middle of the summer in Mesquite picking cotton for three and a half cents a pound. Kind of amazing that things have changed here. Yeah. But just such good history. We have, we keep in our car the book, um, a, a River, I think it's called A River and a Road. Have you seen the book? It's kind of thick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not that I can't read, but if my wife and I are out, because we'll go out for the meteor showers, she'll just pick a part of that book and read it to me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is pretty good, like a, a, yeah. a book on tape. We'll call it a book on Gwen. Right. <laughs> she, would, she would read it to me, and this town has such an interesting history, and, yeah. and we all need to know it a little bit. People need to go by and see the statue. Well, and to go back to your question about what happened to malls. Oh, I forgot about that. You know, it's, and <laughs> what happened to downtowns. And Mesquite's never had one. No, we, don't, we have no doubt. And I don't, I, the mayor talks about, I don't know how old he was, but in 1965, he came through Mesquite on his way to Vietnam. He remembers that and, it, you know, says there were a couple of truck stops, a restaurant and a bar, and that was it. The two truck stops left a legacy of... Uh, leaking fuel tanks. And I don't think many people know this, but across the street from where the final details building was, that was an EPA cleanup site because that had been a, a service station. Fuel tank leaked. There was a plume of hydrocarbons that almost went to the river. Because oh, wow. everything goes downhill to the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got cleaned up. and. Some of the folks who've been here a while may remember that for a time there was a piece of equipment sitting out there uh, on the on the elementary school side. Yeah, and that was the pump pulling the, the hydrocarbons back up. Oh, really? Yeah, and then there was another site where the old oasis was. That started as the pepper mill. Before the pepper mill, it was a truck stop, and also had a leaking fuel tank. That also has been cleaned up and has now been remediated. Yeah, I don't think there's anything across the street at this time from the uh, the old printing place, has there? Is there? From where? From the old printing place that you oh, said was... final details? Yeah, no. final details. No, it's for sale. It's a piece of property owned by, uh, I believe, by Tony Burns, who grew up here and owns Ryder Trucks. Okay. We have some real interesting folks that have grown up here and left, you know, uh, uh, Dixie Levitt, who's doing this project across the street from City Hall right now. He's a fascinating guy to talk to, you know, you, you say, Dixie, uh, when you were growing up here, who lived in that house? And you can describe the street, yeah. and you say, man, that was so-and-so, and they and give you their family history. And, mm. yeah, so I think we've gotten away from your young days. We can go back to that. We can, <laughs> we can go to, the, of course, we want to talk about the Steam yeah. Center, one of my favorite subjects, yeah. or anything else you want to talk about. Back to your initial question. Um, you know, we, we, I think all the council members periodically get somebody will catch them in a grocery store or something and say, oh, why don't we get a Trader Joe's or... <laughs> Something like that. Okay, well, you haven't listened to the mayor's podcast yet because he talked about yes. Well, so go on. Because for a lot of my career, I I did economic development professionally, and I was a certified economic developer with a credential from the International Economic Development Council, and 
ran a state agency that did economic development in Wyoming. Believe me, it's tough to recruit anything to small town America. What most people don't seem to realize is that all of these companies have their own criteria for what sort of income they're looking for, what kind of demographics they're looking for, and what they think the market is. And Mesquite doesn't qualify for very many. It's going to be a while before we get a Trader Joe's. I'm sure people will continue to ask. But the other thing is, because I've done downtown development through the National Main Street program now in three states, it used to be that there you really had downtowns which were the core of the community. And that's just changed with the internet and the way people live and how we put subdivisions together and what we do for transportation. And I'm, I just don't think retail is ever going to be on Main Street again. You may get some services that are strictly local, but that doesn't support a community, not economically. It may make it easier for people to find a particular service that they like. It's nice to hear your perspective having that background as a planner. You had mentioned Wyoming. How long did you live in Wyoming? 22 years. Wow. So what took you from Colorado to Wyoming? Your your work? A job. Okay. Yeah. And is that then where you met your wife, Linda? Yeah. So then 22 years in Wyoming, what brought you to Mesquite and how long have you lived here? We've been here a little over 11 years. Retired here. Linda grew up in Vegas, and we knew we did not want to live in Vegas because we basically don't like big towns, at least not to live in. We have one son that lives in Vegas, and we can give him condolences all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And his job is one that he simply couldn't do here. He's an aircraft mechanic who works for FedEx. I mean, there's not many FedEx planes landing at our airport. Right, right. Thinking of airports in history. I read one of Elspeth's books, about Crazy Eddie. Yeah, yeah. I've got and, some stories from yeah. from Pete who used to volunteer yeah. over there. Um, I had one conversation with him, but I'm, I'm fascinated that the airport used to be where the high school is. Okay. Yeah, oh. and, that, you know, and that's up high. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it would have been a Mesa where if, if you didn't have airspeed enough to fly and you got to the end of the Mesa, you were in trouble. <laughs> I was just thinking that's not a huge Mesa there, is it? No. Okay. Wouldn't have been. Your favorite Crazy Eddie story? Making an airplane with a Volkswagen engine and flying back and forth. Okay, we've got the same story. Oh, (laughs) That's the same one I heard. I also heard that the fuel they put in the engine, they also put some fuel into themselves that time, (laughs) and they crashed. I guess they were doing a little moonshine. Yeah. Is that a bad thing to say? And they crashed with their Volkswagen engine, and that they were okay. Yeah, well, they're probably going 40 miles an hour or something. (laughs) So I have to ask, who's Crazy Eddie? Was he he related to, well, there was Lears. Was it John Lear? I don't know. So there there was Lears, which were um, a relative of the Learjet. Okay, sure. I don't think he was related. I think he just somehow made a business connection. Oh, okay. Mr. Lear seemed to be very, very kind to Eddie, and there was a lot of connection there. I can't recall it all at the moment. But I, we can send people to the museum and, and have, talk to Elspeth and get a book, get that book. Um, yeah, yeah. And we have to interview Elspeth sometime, too. She's, she's, yeah. she's amazing. But, but Pete there was who would give me the crazy yeah. stories. And what's the name of the book? 
Well, the book that my wife reads to me is called River on a Road, but I think you're talking about a different book. Yeah, Crazy Eddie self-published a couple of volumes. And uh, there, uh, somebody in the family typed them back in the day on a manual typewriter, I think. Um, so you got to forgive the grammar and the spelling and whatnot, but the fun stories about he, he was a rancher. I've actually uh, found a friend here in town who took me out to where his house was. And uh, nothing, there's nothing there at this point, but he lived out there, mined, um, just was an entrepreneur and a, a kind of a jack of all trades sort of guy that built, built this little airplane and put a Volkswagen engine in it and flew back and forth. He'd come in here to buy groceries and go back out to the mine. <laughs> he was deserving of his name then, it sounds like. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a dentist, and, and he filled in for our dentist up here. Shoot, I forget our dentist's name up here, Falcon Ridge Dental. He was filling in for him when he was on vacation one time, and we got to talking with him, and I guess his grandfather was related with all those guys. And I think his grandfather owned the, the Tazi Ranch. Am I saying it right? Tazi Ranch, mm -hmm. Tazi Ranch. Yeah. So his grandfather, would they would fly out there to the Tazi Ranch and land. Because yeah. there's a little strip up there, right. which is full of rocks. I don't know how they'd ever land anything. I've been up there and then the <laughs> forerunner before. Big fat tires. I guess big fat tires. <clears throat> and he said that they would go down there and they would hunt. All, all kinds of good stories. Yeah. Yeah, lots of fun history around Mesquite. And I don't think many people really get to know it. No, they could, we're doing a, uh, a PR thing for Elspeth right now, but, <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but the museum is a must stop. Yeah, sure. yeah for sure. Yeah, she's great. From her stories to her, you were talking about cotton, and she has the cotton wheel up there. And actually, she grows cotton in the back of the, in the, back of the museum. Yeah. Hmm. She's yeah. um, with our Get Smart with Art free art classes. We went over there once, and she had everybody make bricks the way they used to make oh, bricks really? in the old days. But, yeah. yes, we saw the cotton in back, too. There's a lot of history in Mesquite, and, George, you're part of that now because you were a councilman for how many terms? Just one. One. Four years. And I thank you for your service. No, thank you. For that. Would you like to tell us how you got started with that? Did, did you raise your hand? In, in a... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, <clears throat> did you raise your hand after a drink or two? <laughs> could, could, looking back, it could have been. But I, I think this, this last council has really done some very interesting things. Um, really focused on housing and that... We've literally approved hundreds of apartments. Very few of them are coming up out of the ground because they got caught and the timing was just terrible with COVID. Oh. And now the fear of a recession and the cost of things has gone up so far. We were talking to an entrepreneur who wanted to build a building out in the in the Mesquite Technology and Commerce Center. The project went from seven hundred thousand to two million. Oh wow! Because so increased construction costs. Yeah, we do have some new companies coming in, and those are really important. Of course, that's my economic development background. But Crown Cork and Seal is uh, they they told the state they would hire one hundred and twenty people in return for the tax abatements that they got from the state, 
and they're building 350,000 square feet out there and they're going to build beverage cans. They told us when they were looking for the site that they had pre-sold 10 years of production out of this site that wasn't yet out of the ground. They didn't even own the, the, the land yet. Wow. But they were, you know, the demand for beverage cans is just apparently crazy, just more than anybody can produce. Yeah, I guess, and, and we actually see some shortages in Smith's of, of beverage. Yeah. I think plastic bottles more than anything. And then uh, we, we have a company called Amer- Hawaii Food Carts that makes food carts like you see um, the coffee carts on the streets in New York. If you've ever been in New York, they also make food trucks. So they're going to hire about 20 people, I think. We're trying to get CSN involved in some training programs and try to recruit some kids from here. Um, and that leads me on to the STEAM Center. What I'd really like to see over time is that kids get introduced to the concepts of, of STEM. Um, and then over time, that becomes a pathway into employment and kids can choose to stay here or go somewhere to go for work or whatever. Not, not all the kids are gonna stay here for sure. I mean, I, I laughingly say that when I graduated from college, Houston wasn't big enough for me and my father. So, <laughs> <laughs> some circumstances will take you to different places. But um, in my mind, it's really important that we begin to diversify this economy because golf and gaming is tough sled. Golf, I mean, people don't like to hear this, but golf is a declining industry. I mean, it's. Old people play golf, but younger people are not playing golf, and hundreds of golf courses are closing all over the country. Yes, it does very well here, but that's because we've got 40% of the population's over 65, and that's not a formula for maintaining uh, a local economy. People have, who've come to city council tend to think that uh, because they're here and they're paying property tax that they're now entitled to something. Fact of the matter is rooftops don't pay for the cost of civic government. So you've got to have a diverse economy and manufacturing is is the one of the best sources of diverse economic diversification you can have because of the wages and, and frankly the wages that Crown is going to pay are causing some problems here because they're they're picking some people off of other current employers. Those employers are now having to replace those people. In some cases, it hurts when they, they, if you lose an employee that you've trained and been with you for a while. Uh, but with those wages that the Crown is paying, which is somewhere north of 30 bucks an hour, that's... It's, that's good. It's gonna, yeah. yeah. It, it's gonna be painful for a while. Mm-hmm changing mesquite but we've got to have that sort of diversification yeah and it all it it may be it's going to be a good thing that it's going to be painful for a little bit it's going to make some decisions people have to make decisions and yeah i mean you know why would it's tough to think about going to work in a casino for 12 bucks an hour these days right Right. I was just thinking, because I was a mathematics teacher, these people coming in would probably be a younger group of people, 
with families. Right. So that will also impact the school system. I'm thinking um, yeah. that'll that particular part of Mesquite will grow. You'll be hiring more teachers probably, building additions to the classrooms. What do you think about that? Hopefully. I'm, I have um, been fortunate to have a couple of conversations with Dr. Jara, the superintendent of schools, and I've been in a, a couple of meetings where he's made presentations about career technical academies that he's setting up in schools in Las Vegas. Oh. And I've asked him, you know, how do we, how do we get access to those pro kind of programs for our kids in Moapa Valley and Beaver Dam and Mesquite? And he just says, but we're thinking about virtual, and I, that's not really much of an answer. Um, I, I think we, you know, if you're going to, if, if you're going to do economic development, if you, if you are going to grow your economy, one of the first things the community's got to have is decent education, because. Right. The CEO is going to come. His his executives are going to come and say, you know, where do I, what do I do for my kids? Where do I educate them? Not moving here. No. And housing's a big part of what you're doing with city council as well, correct? Yeah, um, we've got some very interesting things going. You know, the Freest Trust, and a lot of, a lot of older people who've been here a while know the Freest name because Charlie Freest and his wife Phyllis were. Really, um, they're really kind of pioneers here, and they were just really invested in education. When they built the Mesquite Shopping Center, and that's where Los Lupe's restaurant is, they put archways over the two entrances, and those archways now are the entryway to the high school. Oh, and she okay. was the one who moved them up there. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> and Charlie was an entrepreneur, got out of the Air Force, they moved to Las Vegas with no no money. Charlie ended up with five taxicab companies in Las Vegas and the largest transportation company in the state. And they owned property all over the state. Uh, the the Freest Trust is currently converting that estate into an educational trust, and they've just done some remarkable things. They announced a scholarship program this year, and they gave away nine. $100,000 scholarships. Oh my, that's fantastic. Yeah, they, the, the Freest Trust, uh, of course, gave the shopping center to Mesquite Works, which is really something else. I mean, Burton Weist and I set Mesquite Works up in 2015 because we were on the board of Mesquite Regional Business doing economic development, and we didn't have any workforce link. So that was the purpose of Mesquite Works. And over the years, we've done soft skills training, teaching people how to interview, uh, helping them with resumes. We're still doing those things. I'll back up here a minute. When Riley Fry was principal of the high school, he and Jim Wilson, who many people know uh, before Jim passed away last year, they, they called me in, when I was on city council and said, uh, could we use the Archon building for a STEM program? They came up with the idea for a STEM program, and they wanted to use the Archon Building, which is was the first hospital, and it's where the First Baptist Church is now. And the city was at that time in negotiations with the Baptist Church to swap the buildings, which we did. Is the First Baptist Church the one that's 
down by the um, Veterans Center? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, across the street from the yeah. Mexican Shopping Center and next door to the Veterans Center. Yeah, right down by my house. Yeah, okay. That was a hospital. That, that was a hospital, and it had all kinds of offices that had to be remodeled by yeah. the church. The former church building, the city has now leased out to Crown as their temporary office space. Okay. At any rate, Riley and Jim came up with the idea for STEM Center, and I said, could we use the Archon building? I said, no, because the city's negotiating with the church for that, but I'll support the STEM program. Let me make a phone call. I called John Mowbray, who is the lead attorney at the trust, and asked if, if we could create a STEM program. And at that point, almost 50% of that shopping center was vacant and had been for some time. And John thought about it, called me back a week later and said, yeah, you, that, that's fine. A couple of weeks went by, Riley and Jim and I were starting to talk about what does STEM center look like and so on. And John called me and said, uh, do you think that the uh, Mesquite Works board would accept a contribution of the shopping center? And I said... To pick yourself up off of the floor? <laughs> yeah. Mesquite Works budget typically is about $15,000. You know, it's, it's all volunteer. Nobody gets any money. The shopping center was appraised at about $2.5 million. I said to John, uh, that's... I certainly can't make that decision. I'll talk to the board, though. Well, the board said, of course, let's take this and see what we could do. We started off, we raised a couple of hundred thousand dollars, a little over $200,000. We just borrowed some money from the bank to start the remodeling. If you've been there lately, you know it looks like it's gonna fall down. In fact, pieces of the molding across some of those arches have fallen, the big problem for us. We, we now have memorandums of understanding with the county library district, which has furnished one of the rooms for us. Yeah, I see Judy. I've seen Judy over there. Yeah, and uh, there's a neat mural that the library district has put up with QR codes that take the kids to all kinds of resources. They've given us uh, five Chromebooks, and they've put on order a couple of computers with a software called ZSpace, which is really fascinating. It's tabletop virtual reality. Really? You don't need the big VR headset. You need a pair of special glasses like mine and a stylus. The software projects holographic images that can be manipulated. So for example, you can manipulate, you can, you can project the image of a heart. You can cut that open. You can turn it different directions. Uh, you can virtually dissect a frog. Wow. You can virtually take an automobile engine apart and put it back together. And, and it's, it is really fascinating stuff. And anybody can go online and look at their little promotional video at zspace.com. That's going to be a, a real learning tool for a lot of kids. You can learn the basics of a trade, like welding. Boy, that's fascinating. What a, what a jump in education to be able to do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm having <clears throat> visions of the old Star Trek movie, remember uh, the Star Trek shows with <laughs> Spock and uh, Kirk and they were doing three-dimensional chess, you know, all, all yeah. virtually. But this is amazing, dissect a frog, yeah. work on an engine, wow. Yeah, yeah the library is a good partner for you guys. Yes, they are. Um, 
the, the freest trust gave us the shopping center. It's owned by an LLC. So Mesquite Works is now the sole member of the LLC. And the management, it's managed by the board of Mesquite Works and the management team appointed by the board is myself, Burton Weist, and Judy Sargent. And then we're, we just finished a memorandum of agreement with Co-op Extension. And they're, one of the rooms down toward the, the pawn shop is going to, they're going to furnish and set up. And there are all kinds of other opportunities that just, you just there's so many, you just don't know how to get your hands around them. We did a, a Liz Larson, who's our current manager, and, and I did a call last week with the Desert Research Institute, which is the state science agency. We can take kids down to DRI and, and they can get classes and all kinds of things. And they've got videos and, you know, we're working with folks that, that I have worked with in the past that own, one of the guys was the director of the Nevada Institute for Autonomous Systems. I don't think many people know that the city, at exit 112 on the interstate, the city owns 1,500 acres between that exit and the river and up down to Tokwapawash. Um, we've, for years, we've had drones tested and flown out there. One of the things we want to do is bring that technology into the center because to learn how to fly a drone, you got to learn how to program it. So they need to learn how to code. Sure. There are some robotics programs in the high school and the middle school now. And they've had they've been pretty successful, is my understanding, that kids have actually gone to competitions and done some good good things. They've placed in state competitions. Boy, so that's excellent. Lots of opportunities and I think your point, Linda, earlier about people with younger families with children. Uh, moving here, absolutely. Housing, there's a, gosh, there's an article in the Review Journal this morning about Governor Sisolak putting aside $500 million of Rescue Act money for affordable housing. And we're, we're going to be the beneficiaries of some of that because the Nevada Rural Housing Authority, the city sold five acres next to the Veterans Center on Hafen Lane. And the Rural Housing Authority is currently building 96 apartments on that property. Yeah, that's what's going to be apartments, huh? Yeah, um, and some of them will be subsidized. That Not Section 8, but they will receive some subsidy. Not everybody is retiring with and coming here and buying $500, $1,000 homes. Some people are coming here trying to make a living. And right. I keep saying laughingly, we need that younger generation because pretty soon somebody's going to have to push my wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, you know, if you come in from another area, as I did from Missouri, you know, we traded a house that was about 3,600 square feet for a little tiny condo in Sunset Green. <laughs> you know, the prices in housing vary so much from the Midwest to the West Coast. So it, it would be difficult yeah. for a young family to come in and be a first-time home buyer here well, without some assistance. Yeah, I'm not sure quite what the rental picture is at this point, but last year there were times when you could go online and there were no rentals mm -hmm. I in heard this that. community. So, and not everybody's going to be in a position, a young family starting out, they probably don't have the money to, to just come in and put a down payment down. Right. So, and it's not like they can go to a cheap suburb no. of Mesquite. 
Because there is no cheap suburb of Mesquite. No, no. no that's right. Uh, the Freest Trust also gave the Rural Housing Authority the 11 acres up by the high school. And you've, if you've been up that way the last week or so, last couple of weeks, you've seen they're moving dirt from that site over to the five acres on Hafen Lane to, because that site was below grade. Oh, what's so it really? It, oh. it wouldn't. The sewer was not going to flow unless they built that up. Okay. Oh wow! So, so what's going to go in on Hafen Lane then? Ninety-six the apartments. Really? Okay. Oh, okay. That's by the Veterans Center. Yep. When you said Hafen Lane, I was thinking um, close to Sunset Greens, across from Coyote Willows. Oh, that's that's well. Well, it is spot there too. Yeah. It, yeah, that's going I mean, to be... I live in Coyote Willow, so it's right, it's right yeah. around the corner from us. Yeah, that's a, a subdivision that's going to be market rate, lots for sale. You buy the lot, build your house. And then a little further down is going to be the RV park. That's a, that's right outside my entry door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a forbidden subject here. Everybody yeah. has a different feeling yeah. about oh, the RV the, park. Oh, it all depends who you talk to about the RV <laughs> <Right>? park. <laughs> And I think uh, I, I think that I have heard that we're getting a Chipotle. Um, yeah, I guess ground's broken for that. Oh, uh, where's that? Where will that be? I think down by the Sinclair station, but I'm not sure. Oh. I guess it's right behind Panda. Okay. According to my wife. All right, we're getting more and more. Because she hears this in the five card games she plays. <laughs> she brings back different information. Yeah, she gets good information, huh? <laughs> Some of it's good. Yeah, and we have a, a tractor supply store coming. That's, oh, did we really? And where will that be? Uh, over by Walmart. Okay. That's my understanding. So there's, you know, lots, lots of things to make it more livable. Going back to our earlier conversation about our agricultural roots, we got, last year, we got a grant from the Nevada Main Street program to help, help create some, to broaden our amenities, I'll put it that way. Uh, we worked with the, the Parks and Recreation Department to do some additional planting on the bike path from the library to Old Mill. If you've done that, you know, there's lots of stuff along there. Created the Arts Commission and got a few pieces of art in there. Hopefully that's going to continue to expand. But with that little grant, we were able to go to the Arts Commission. The Arts Commission paid a commission to Rochelle Knight to do the, the painting that became the wraps on the utility boxes. Right. And for, for people who never put together what the painting was, it's grapes and cotton. Yep. <laughs> yep. And it's a, a nod to the history of the, of the community. I love the art that you brought here. And you were the one that wrote that grant, weren't you? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's, uh, I write smaller grants for the art galleries, and I heard this was a huge grant that you brought in. No, it wasn't, it was only $20,000. $20,000 is awesome. I think that's fantastic. So you used um, money from the American Rescue Plan? Well, not for that. Okay. Uh, that was state, the, the the utility box wraps were uh, money from the Main Street program. That was state oh, okay. money. Sure. The mayor did some research about 
how communities were using their Rescue Act money and said to me, lots of communities are using this for kids. Why don't you put a list of things together that the, that the STEAM Center needs and we'll see if we can do something? Well, ultimately, the city made a grant of $100,000 and we have ordered $100,000 worth of furniture and equipment. We're going to have laser cutters and 3D printers wow. and uh, we've got a hydrology outfit in there right now. It's the first thing that came. We have the 4-H kids in there meeting now uh, once a week. That was a group I really wanted to reach out to because a lot of the kids that go to 4-H are homeschooled and they otherwise would not have access to those programs for yes. the schools. Mm -hmm. Of course, 4-H is, is a co-op extension program. As the co-op extension gets in there with its programs, uh, there's gonna be just lots of additional resources and, and we've gotta find ways to get the kids down there and, and we, the principals of the schools are involved in it. I'm, I'm really excited about how that's gonna work and having somebody like Liz Larson there who's much younger. <laughs> she's, she, she's a whirlwind and we really like Liz. Yeah, yes. yeah she's, she is a real asset. And Burton and Judy, and uh, not so much Judy, because Burton and I were about the same age, you know, and we kind of look at each other and think, what, what in the world are we trying to do here? We, you know, we can do the real estate part of this. We know about hiring contractors and all that kind of stuff, but we don't know anything about education what what it should look like and how you get kids into these kinds of things that are going to lead them into careers, good, productive lives. Well, having, having Liz and Judy in there is, is a real plus. Oh, yeah. Sure, Ju sure. Judy has kept Burton and me on the straight and narrow more than once. <laughs> and, and, and you see of late what the, and maybe not of late, maybe I've just started noticing what Judy has gone for kids at, at the library. Yeah. She's got all kinds of art things going on. That's fantastic. Yeah. So did you write the grant then, the $100,000 grant to bring that money in from the American Rescue no, Fund? No. Okay. That, that was not a, we, had, we didn't have to do a grant. Okay. It was a vote of the city council with you know, support from the mayor. There is a lot of paperwork involved with mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, there was one condition put on the grant, which was that because it's federal money, it, it'll be subject to what what the feds call a single audit at the end of the program where we've spent the money. We have to use the city's, we had to create purchasing procedures because we weren't far enough along to do that. So mm -hmm. we did that in relation with the, the city staff, the finance department and the grant writer. We make sure that our purchasing procedures match what the city has to do to ultimately report to the feds about how they spent the money. Oh, okay. So there's several layers in there. So sure. Liz is really working closely with city staff to make sure that that gets done in advance. Because if the, the, the city condition, the condition the city council put on it was if anything fails the federal audit, we have to make that up. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sure. So we want to make sure that we don't have that happen. Yeah, there's some pressure. Right. Yeah. It, it's uh, being monitored and taken care of by people who are much better at that kind of stuff than I am. I, just the STEAM Center, I think, is a bright, shining star for this city. 
And I think you said a few minutes ago that there's so many things you just don't know what to do next. And the, 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 yeah. the, the opportunities out there are endless. They really are. Tomorrow morning, I've got a conference call with the deputy superintendent of schools. We had him here a month ago, walked through the center and sat and visited with us for a while and, and then said, uh, you know, I'll go back and talk to my team and see what we can, what the district can do. That could be really key. We've had several teachers go through, one from the school district and one who's an assistant principal in the Moapa Valley. They both had experience with STEM programs and they, it was immensely helpful to have them both walk through all of the rooms and then they both took the time, just because they were passionate about educating kids, mm -hmm. they took the time to sit down and write what could ha take place in every room, what equipment that would take, and where you buy the equipment. Oh, that's oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that Liz mm -hmm. was able to go through and sort that out and sure. cull it down and mm -hmm. so on. And we still have one space that was, we've, we've remodeled three of the rooms. And by the way, the center is now 100% leased out. Oh, is it really? No vacancies. Wow. Can you explain just a little bit how this works? Would would the teachers bring their classes there, or are these um, after-school activities? Both. Both, okay. We hope. And uh, one of the things that I've thought about over the years is the city council has spent a little over $2 million building 16 pickleball courts for I, I believe that they said they had 300 pickleball players in town and that there would be tournaments and so on. The only thing I can think of that the city has done for kids is that they take, this year they, we took $75,000, 3% tax on retail sales of marijuana that we imposed when we licensed the Deep Roots. We took that $75,000 and gave it to the CAB board, the Community Education Advisory Board, and they in turn used that to ask the, the schools to provide, uh, to put proposals in, and then the schools buy their, their awarded grants, um, and the, the school principals then buy whatever gets awarded. First year of that happened, I was on the council. We were buying paperback classic novels for kids to read, and my first reaction was, what the hell does the school district fund? Why are, why are, mm -hmm. why are we buying those things from local funds? I still don't understand that. I'm just amazed and beyond amazed. Uh, the other thing that I can see that the, that the Council City has done is the $100,000 grant for the STEM program. And that we, we envision that as a year-long program as it, when it gets started. It will, we'll do after school, we'll have kids down during class for various classes. And That's really exciting. Well, George, it's, it seems to me you make up you make a good point about the pickleball. I don't play pickleball, but everybody I know, has Ron started playing pickleball yet? No. Because okay. everybody that's a friend of mine, they've started playing pickleball, mm -hmm. okay? And they get hooked on it, but it seems like a lot, a lot of money on pickleball versus $100,000 for the youth, you know, which are our promise to right. keep our city going. I hope you and the STEM Center can be part of that to maybe pull in a little more money yeah, to invest right. yeah, in my, our youth. 
my concern is not only for the kids, but for the city. We can't, in my opinion, we can't afford to just be a retirement town. You, you can't run the government on that. And unfortunately, a lot of us who move here, me included, you know, we, we're here for ourselves. Sure. I'm, I'm here. I don't want anybody else to move here right. because no, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. I know you and I have had this conversation. <laughs> we're here. That's it. Yeah. George is here. Nobody else. But the fact of the matter is to make it a thriving town, We've got to actually we went by um, what's where the the market was that's now a dance studio ranch, ranch market. Okay, um, that was packed. My wife and I drove by there the other day. It's packed with cars. Great. It was probably a bunch of kids. Yeah, and they're doing fun stuff and learning right. things and camaraderie and all that. That was great to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have that that building back in use because it was vacant for a long time. And it, it was going to be a bear to remodel it and get it back up and running. And let me make an editorial comment here. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about. Having been at the Shriek Reek, uh, the Yucca Street, the Yucca Holiday Festival yeah. the other day, and the, the kids here are all so polite and nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a general comment. They, they just really are. So the families here are doing really good jobs yeah, with their and, kids. And incidentally, there are several thousand of them here. As no. opposed to the 300 <laughs> pickleball players. <laughs> yes, yes, there are. And, you know, it'd be nice to see a skate park or maybe a bicycle pump track or um, some other activity that kids want. Well, it'd be nice to get the kids out of, and I don't know how many of them here are, again, I'll be generalizations, but get them away from their devices. Yeah, right. You know, out doing something outside or with the arts. talk about the steam center for yeah. another two days you know, I just think that the opportunities there are so great George has got his list here to talk about yeah what? well you know housing is a critical issue uh, one of the other issues that that is receiving a lot of state attention and I've been working on for a while is daycare because oh sure Nevada is a daycare desert as is much of the country the governor uh, recently set aside I think it was $50 million to pay the subsidies for daycare providers, friends and family and relatives who are most, that, that's how most daycare is occurring here. Mesquite has one licensed daycare center, that's the Lutheran Church. Really? And it, they do a great job, but they're limited in space and it's somewhat expensive. And they don't cover the full range of kids who need daycare. The, the city runs a safe key program in the afternoons. It's a place for kids to get, go and do homework. The library's got a good homework program and they do a lot of things for the kids. Um, but those are, if you count the casinos, companies like Primex, which go 24 hours a day, what you really need is 24 seven daycare. And that's not anywhere. We recently worked with an organization called Children's Cabinet to do a survey and something like 74 of the 
people who responded to the survey here in Mesquite said that daycare was an issue for them. 74 here. people out of? 74%. Oh, 74%, okay. If you're a young family starting out, you have children, both families, both family members working, who's taking care of the kids. Right, you know, I didn't think about it till just now, but for a town this size, which is this same size that I came from in Missouri, I haven't seen a daycare. I didn't even know there was one in the Lutheran Church. It's amazing we don't have more daycares here. Yeah, it's it's a real issue, and it, it affects a lot of people's ability to go to work. Sure it and, does. You know, if you're like most young families, both partners are working, make ends meet. Daycare is expensive. Some of the figures I've seen recently are just startling. The cost of infant care is is more than a college education. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I had no clue. Did you, Steve? Uh, it's been a while since I've been there. <laughs> I, you know, and, and, yeah. And I, I don't think much about it, but but I look back in our days, you know, back in the 70s, my wife and I had our family, and my wife stayed at home for 14 years. Yeah. And, and we could afford it. Right. Now, pretty much need both people working in the family right. to make it. Yeah, so that's that's a, a real issue and there are some interesting things going on. Children's Cabinet has a grant and, and they will work with a business that will come in and, and look at your, your family-friendly policies or not family-friendly policies and help you change your policies. Um, they can work with companies to help actually set up daycare my understanding is that station casinos have separate daycare facilities at each of their casinos. I think that that's just real interesting to me. I'd, I'd really like to talk to somebody from their organization to find out what is, does that make it easier to recruit people and retain people and that sort of thing. Um, and, and absolutely. I would think that'd be a parent's dream, really. Yeah, oh yeah. No kidding. But, but but that sounds like a competitive thing that if I'm a business and I want to get good people, I'll, I'll, that's something um, just, yeah. like, just like health care. Right. I want to add child care. Sure. Because yeah, I have a, a dealer who gets pregnant and goes has been, is not going to come back to work. Right. But they may be really good, and I need them to come back to work. No kidding. Yeah. So, and, that, yeah. and that's kind of market-driven, but not here, I take it. Uh, not in this, not in town here, at least yeah. that I'm aware of. So I, you know, I think that's an issue. And George, I'm not sure that you can leave the council. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have all these good ideas. Well, yes. but you know, I, I think I can do this and not be on the council. Okay. <laughs> There's another organization called Wonder School, that is working with the family and friends type folks who would like to become daycare providers and get licensed, and they have a grant from somebody to work with those individuals who want to get into the business. So they'll help you with the business plan, uh, help you through the state licensing requirements, which are really um, obviously for necessarily pretty strict. You gotta have X number of little toilets and little water fountains and so on, depending on the age of the kids. You got a place for them to play and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That gets prohibitive if you were trying to remodel your house to accommodate that. Um, yes, because that's taking me back to my elementary school 
going back as an adult and seeing those little water fountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You didn't think about that when you were little. Yeah, and, and interestingly, interestingly enough, I, when we were, when the city was talking about accepting the trade between the First Baptist Church and the Archon Building, my hope was we could get a daycare center in the First Baptist Church. Over the last few years, we've, we've had a number of conversations uh, about daycare and what it would take and so on. And so I was hoping that that could be worked, but I got people from the children's cabinet to come out from Las Vegas and go through this, that building with me. And they said, it absolutely won't work. It, it would be cost prohibitive. And I said, why? They said, well, first, there's, the building has no windows. Second, it's like everything else in Mesquite. And this is very interesting to me, built slab on grade. So if you go back and modify it so you meet the licensing requirements, you have to jackhammer through the slab to put all the little toilets in and all oh, the little water fountains. Okay. Okay. And it wow. just, you can't do it. You'd be better off finding funding for a new building. Sure. Something I'm sure you weren't thinking of when you took them in there. Hey, what do we need to do? $10,000, what do we need to do? <laughs> <laughs> what else on the list, George? Oh, well, you know, there's a, down in Trailside Subdivision, there's a, a vacant lot that was going to be the first phase of that subdivision back in 2006. And then in 2010, it got flooded. And so it became a wetland. And the, the developer put it into a shell, one of his shell corporations, forgot to pay the taxes or decided not to pay the taxes. The city picked it up. Uh, and um, has plans to make a pollinator garden. Oh, yes, I read about that. Yeah. That's exciting. So, yeah, and so we're, Star Nursery has given us some help in terms of uh, designing what that might look like and what kind of plants there would be. And, you know, I think that, that sounds like fun. If you said, mm -hmm. okay, what kind of plants go there? I wouldn't have a clue what, what's most attractive to birds and bees and butterflies and so on, but I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. Uh, Nick Montoya of the city and has a little committee going trying to pull that together. I think it'd be a nice addition to the community. Part of a nonprofit called Mesquite Opportunities Regional Fund. In 2015, we did a listening session that the Eureka hosted for us. We had about two groups of 40 people come in and say, well, you know, what do you want Mesquite to be? If you sit here now and think about what what additions would you like? Uh, we had two groups of 40 people come in and with a professional facilitator. Um, we, we had a really productive day talking about people's vision about Mesquite's future. And, and I sum it up as they were looking for more amenities, more arts, more culture, more nice things in town. So in my mind, that's what the additional planting on the back path was. Um, the, the art on the boxes, you know, the, the Arts Commission, the, you know, those, all of those things begin to make it a more, I'm not sure what the right words are, but it, it broadens our, our, our life.
lives, I think. Yes, it does. The creativity. Yeah. The art. Enriches all of us, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what lots of folks want to do. And, and we need to provide some additional venues to accommodate that and recruit folks into it and give them opportunities to use some of those skills. And I just was contacted by a guy who had a, a career in an energy field. He called me up the other day and said, I, I'm on an advisory board for this state agency or no, it's actually a federal agency. And he said, I think they have a STEM program grant. So I followed up, had a nice conversation. There is indeed a STEM program. I, hmm. He said, here's the webpage. I went on the webpage, I couldn't find it, but he gave me the name of the person who runs the organization, the, the manager, and she was very kind. And I think there's a lot of those kinds of contacts out there that people could, you know, that somebody's on the board of directors of a company that might Come. One of the other projects I'm working on, I have a friend who has an airplane up at the airport, and he says, with the Super Bowl draft coming next year, if we had a place to park additional airplanes, we could sell a lot more fuel. The city makes money. Our new city manager is, is very strong on the position that the city needs to make money out of its deals. He also says, if if we had, there, we have one gas pump for AF gas. If we had a truck with a tank that you could pull behind it and you could go along the tarmac and put gas in people's planes so they didn't have to wait in line, we could get a lot more of the people who are going to come to the NFL draft to come up here and gas up. Okay, so we could, we could hold the NFL draft. We can benefit from it. Yeah, here. Yeah. Now that's thinking outside the box. And because where's that in New York? Yeah, the the uh, Formula One race. My friend Burton is a, uh, a a fan of Formula One, and he said he went to two of those races in Austin. And the first race, um, and I don't know when this was, brought two hundred thousand people. Now I lived in Austin three times. In the first time I lived there, the population was not two hundred thousand. The second year he went, the race brought 400,000 people. Now you can imagine what it's going to do in Vegas, because Vegas will be bigger, a much bigger draw. I think the Consumer Electronics Show brings like 150 or 170,000 people. Multiply that by almost four, maybe. Mm -hmm. A lot of those people would fly in. Yeah. So we could. You know, we need to be thinking longer term. We we could expand that airport into Arizona. You got to move some dirt, like every place else in Mesquite. Um, my, my friend, who's the hydrologist at the water district, says this all this up and down stuff is, and all this sand is the the ancestral Colorado River left over. Yeah. <laughs> so fortunately, you can move it. But and everything out in the business park that's level was leveled by somebody with a scraper. Yeah. It didn't look, it didn't come like that. So, well, the, well, the business park to me looks like it could be expanded and, well, not expanded, there's just tons of room out there. Yeah, and there is a shortage of, of 
industrial property in the Vegas Valley now. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, that's they interesting. Were, uh, yeah, was, yeah, since they've almost built these big warehouses almost <laughs> yeah, almost as far as Overton. They haven't, but it seems that way. It does yeah. seem that way. And I, I was in a meeting earlier this year where uh, they said that the Vegas Valley was down to 13 parcels of, of readily available industrial property. Now, since then, North Las Vegas has gotten some utilities out to the Apex Industrial Park, and I think that's 1,800 acres or so. So that's, that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of growth between there and here, and um, a lot of people could live here and, and work in North Las Vegas and get to work faster than if they were work, living in North Las Vegas and going to Henderson. <laughs> that's true. Good, good point. I think we got, you know, this this community has got lots of opportunities, both economically and culturally. We need to find ways to get folks involved in it. Well, given that we are the Virgin Valley Artists Association, we're certainly there for the, the cultural part. Yeah, right. absolutely. What else you got on your list? Just to tell our listeners, George has a list. Well, <laughs> I, I was recently appointed by the governor to the Governor's Workforce Development Board. Which, oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah I think. Um, <laughs> what does your wife think about that? Yeah. Another. <laughs> she just shakes her head. <laughs> but that, that gives us access to uh, some training programs and link, links to organizations like College of Southern Nevada, which has really been designated as the state's community college. And that's a lot of opportunities for occupational kinds of training. One of my passions is making sure kids go to work. And, you know, lots of kids can go to college. I think, I believe that our, from our high school, I think only about 30% of the kids go to college. So I've always wondered where the heck the other 70% go. How do they get into the workforce? Do they have to leave? Do they have to all leave? Or do they have to go into uninteresting jobs or you know whatever um, but how do we get them passionately involved in something that you know is a career that, that is, yeah, it doesn't have to be college no but they want to go to a career and we need tradesmen and women I'm intrigued by you know watch the television and the ads for the Gettle company they now have two women who are spokespeople in their uniforms say, you know, we're out here fixing your HVAC system. Okay. I think we've got five HVAC companies here. The one that I have used, that I had to buy, replace my heat pump this last year, it called me earlier in the year and said, I'm so busy with new installations, I can't get around to do your annual maintenance. Oh, wow. That's busy. Yeah. <laughs> And That's busy. It also shows they could probably hire more people, and they probably would hire more people. Absolutely. And if we had training for them, we—I mean, mm -hmm. you can make a hundred thousand bucks a year as an air, an air conditioning technician and plumber, and you know, it's a good jobs. Yeah. Yes, you can, and you won't have any college loans to pay off. That's right. Yeah, and several years ago we did uh, we celebrated Manufacturing Day in Mesquite, and we'd take the kid get the kids from schools and take them through Primex and 
some other places, and Primex would always make that exact pitch. That you can come to work here, make a living, get training, and, and they'd have their senior management staff stand up and talk about how many years they'd been there, the training they'd received, they were to live here, stay here in the, in the community, not end up with college debt. Makes sense to me. Uh, makes you sense to me too. occupation. <laughs> you would never be without work. And mm -hmm. about that time, first part of the year, our deputy city manager went over to the planning department and said, Richard, how many houses are in some process of construction and licensing? It was about 450. Now, that seems like a lot. Is that a lot? That seems like a lot to me, too. A lot for a 20,000 yeah. population town? Yeah. Now, I, I, I did want to make this point. This just occurred to me. During some of the conversations we've had on various projects at City, people from Sun City would, would you know, the city was interested in doing something just off of Falcon Ridge. We had a couple of projects up that way. And Sun City people would come up and say, we're concerned about the traffic. And I think, so you live in a subdivision that is permitted for 6,000 homes. <laughs> right. And you are at, and the subdivision is at about 2,500 homes now. So you want to talk to me about traffic, really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and there are these new inventions called traffic lights. But I'm thinking... What are you guys, which planet are you guys on, you know? Well, I'm sure people who move here or there know that they're in an expanding community and the traffic is going to... Well, and, and change yeah. comes so rapidly in, in every aspect of our lives. I mean, there's lots of stuff I don't like about change, you know. Every day somebody comes up with a new computer program I have to figure out, and I'm not very good at that. I get frustrated to think that their, their community's not gonna change, that there's buildings won't be built in certain places. And they, they, we heard a number of people say, well, I researched this parcel of land before I bought it, and I was told that nothing would be built across the street. <laughs> and I wanted to say, told by whom? Yes. Who, who did you think had the authority to say that nothing would happen? Well, you know what's interesting? That you're 83, I'm almost 71, and Linda's, I think, 39. Yeah. Okay? And, we, and, we, and we still, not again, and we still deal with change. We're still dealing with change, yes. and, and we're embracing it. Right. And I'm pretty happy. Because right. when I was probably 12, looking at my grandparents, just sitting on my granddad's knee, and I was, of course, I wasn't even thinking about change. I was just thinking about getting the nutty buddy out of their freezer. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, I, 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 who knew? And, and they were probably dealing with change as, as their change was then, too. So we all deal with change, and I think we deal with it pretty well. Those of yeah. us who don't, I guess we just sit at home and are curmudgeons yeah. all day long. Yeah, right. and you're frustrated. And, and the, the pace of change obviously has increased dramatically over our lives. You know, think, I think about my grandfather, who I, I don't know if he ever was on an airplane. I can't remember. They were... I, I know my grandfather's never on an airplane. Yeah, my, my, 
my grandfather was in southern Ohio, and they were early snowbirds who went down to Florida um, in a Key West area, and they drove. They'd hop on I-75. Well, they probably didn't hop on I-75 in those days. There was no I-75. We lived on the west coast of Florida, so all of our neighbors were all Ohio, Michigan, I-75 corridor down to Sarasota, Florida. Okay. But in those days, I'm sure there were some little side roads that they took without a GPS, and they made it. No, Without a GPS, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. What else you got, George? One of the one of the real interesting housing opportunities we're looking at is uh, boxable. You know about boxable? No. What is that? Boxable are uh, I, I call them houses like origami. They fold them up. They build them in a plant. Really? So that the the energy issues are they're better than the stick built, mm-hmm. um, and they literally. They manufacture it and then they fold it up and put it on a flatbed and bring it to you. And with a crane, they literally unfold it. Oh my gosh, I have to look that up. Well, and it's a shame you didn't know they had one Uh right in front of the steam center for what, a month? Yeah. Oh, they did? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, look up boxable.com. There's a little video of how they unpack one. But the city is talking to Boxable about constructing what what Boxable calls a village, which we would call a subdivision. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're very interested in doing that here in Mesquite. Uh, the mayor's very interested in that. Uh, there's a, a parcel that he has in mind that we would negotiate some sort of arrangement with. And they would uh, build some units. Um, and I, I can show you on my phone later there are all sorts of conceptual designs. That the unit that we had on the parking lot of the shopping center was 20 by 20, so it was roughly 400 square feet. You can stack these things, you put staircases in, you can link, you put them side by side. Wow. Um, they're talking about building a 40 by 20 foot mm-hmm. unit. Uh, you can still get that on a truck. Wow. Uh, they've sold them to FEMA, they've sold them to the Department of Defense. It's a real interesting prospect and the, one of the most interesting things is you can un, unload it from the truck and live in it two days later. Now there... Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean we are... Uh. I, I don't know where 120 employees for Crown Cork and Seal are going to live. Mm-hmm. Okay, so George, just between you and me, can you tell me where this parcel will be that the mayor is thinking about putting these on? You, you were going to get that in, weren't you? I was. No, I'll leave that to the mayor. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a thing she got from Connie Chung. Yeah. Connie Chung interviewing Mrs. Reagan. Just between you and me, Mrs. Reagan. <laughs> Right. And the, the factory for Boxables is right at the confluence of uh, I-215 and right. I-15 in Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, well, the only reason I know that right now, because they haven't got the bridge built, they take you on a circuitous. Yeah. 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 They take you on a detour. Yes. And you go right by the Boxable plant. Okay. Yeah. And it is really hard to get to. 
and they're uh, they're in the process of expanding into the next building because they're they are I don't know I have read there are 130 units behind that they they've sold and yeah they got to produce them yeah I think they have a bunch of them out at um, if you're familiar at all with China Lake um, mm -hmm. Naval Weapons oh, Station no. out in Inyo Kern California. That would make sense. They're having a large expansion there, mm -hmm. and there's what looks to me off to one side, going through there, a boxable community. Yeah. Oh, okay. But that the the immediacy with which you can unpack it and live in it is just remarkable, and that would be like a it. real addition. And they're a whole lot better. I like you said FEMA. Because in Florida, we had an area on one of our little byways, our little I-75 bypasses, of a field full of white trailers that yep. they had staged there for use in event of a hurricane. Right. Okay. And it looked terrible. It had been there for several years. Yeah. They weren't wearing very well, if yep. you will. I think these things are quality, and they can probably stack them somewhere, and they'll probably wear very well. Yeah. So, um, what else? So let me ask George, um, is there anything that keeps you up at night thinking about the steam center, the city, or is everything just going so good <laughs> that you're like, pinch me, I can't believe this. I'm off of the council and I've got the steam center, I've got all these things to do. And he's and on I'm, the mayors. The governors. The gov that's right, the yeah. governors. Yeah, the governors. Yeah, and, and that'll go over to the new governor, I assume. I think my well, I'm I'm not quite sure, but since I was just appointed this early this year, I I don't know how long my term is actually, but nobody said to me, "Oh, this is your last meeting last week." <laughs> <laughs> it might be one of those committees where your term goes on forever. Uh, good Lord, I hope not. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not Pollyannish about all this stuff that's going on. Uh, I think, hopefully, it, it contributes to the quality of life here in Mesquite. And, yeah, there's all kinds of challenges and things that won't work out. We'll have to go around and find new ways to do stuff. But, yeah, and maybe I'm not so happy with the way things are going in this country, but I believe my wife and I, Linda, you and Ron, George, we've settled in a good community oh, with, yeah. with, with good leaders. Thank you, George, for your leadership and the mayor and everyone else there. You know, it's not just the city government employees who are our leaders. You know, it's the our business leaders, yeah. our art gallery leaders. Yeah. And, and you know, Mesquite's fortunate in several ways, I think. Um, I, I had the the honor of meeting Jimmy Hughes just before he passed away a year or so ago. And I said thank you for for what you guys did to, and when you were setting this town up. Jimmy was the first mayor, I think. And um, the infrastructure here, you know, when, when Linda and I were looking for a place to live, because of my planning background, I was looking for a place that had zoning, had infrastructure, had trees and rules and so on. And the realtor wanted me to take take me out to Bunkerville, and I said, "No, I'm 
I'm not interested in Bunkerville. I'm not interested in scenic. I understand why other folks are, but that's not what I'm looking for. And the early leaders of this community were very thoughtful about what they did. And we recently were able to get Mesquite made a charter city, which is as close as you can come in Nevada to becoming a home rule community. And that, that gives us a lot of, much more in control of our fate with the charter. That gives us some ability to push back against the state or against the county should come to this. And when you read about the history of development here, part of the motivation for the original city council organizing the city was they wanted to get out from under Clark County because Clark County's development process was onerous and still is. And the fact that we have our own rules is a real benefit and a real attraction. Yeah, because I, I think we're a little, we're an outlier of Clark County. Yes, we are. Actually, I think that we would probably go better with Lincoln County than Clark County, but that's just my <laughs> opinion. Lincoln County probably wouldn't like that, but, <laughs> but in any case, you want to, so we're wrapping up, you want to ask might, our, you they might, Lincoln County might like the tax base. Um, Lincoln probably, well, hey, we dump our trash in Lincoln County. <laughs> Yeah, but we pay for it. Do we pay for it? Yeah. Well, I'm sure. About $15,000 a year, I think, to rent that space. Oh, that's not too bad. No, not at all. Yeah, let us dump our trash in your county for $15,000 <laughs> Well, George, I've learned so much about Mesquite today from Crazy Eddie <laughs> all the way to what you've done on the city council and the future of Mesquite and, and future plans. It's been truly interesting and inspiring to me. So my question for you today is, what has inspired you this week? First, George being retired is thinking just like I would, what's today? Yeah. What's today? <laughs> yeah. So the beginning of the week, the end of the week. Yeah. You know, what comes to mind is kind of odd. We just bought tickets for the Nutcracker. Oh, I went to see that last year. Fantastic. I bet. Well, my secret ambition for years has been to be a ballet dancer. Really? I just I am so enthralled with the athleticism of ballet. And I I couldn't have done it when I was seventeen and I sure <laughs> as hell can't do it now. But I can really admire the skill and the commitment that that takes. When are your tickets? Uh it's next Saturday. Guess what? I'm going next Saturday. Oh. <laughs> to the Nutcracker? Yeah, to the Nutcracker. Oh, good. Yeah, help me figure out what I'm going to wear. So, yeah, I'm, retire I'm retired now. I, I have my summer hiking outfits and my winter hiking outfits, and that's it. i got to dress up. Well, and I was talking to somebody in Vegas the other day and discovered that she was she's from Louisiana, and I spent a lot of time in Louisiana. The summer I graduated from high school, I worked on a seismograph crew in, in the swamps around St. Martinville and uh, just fell in love with Louisiana and I really like Cajun food. So I was asking this lady if she knew any Cajun restaurants in 
Las Vegas, and she gave me the name of the new one. So that's where we're going early. We when we go to the Smith Center, that's an excuse to go down early and have a nice dinner and you know kind of make a date night of it. Sure, that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's our plan as well, George. Thank you very much for coming in. I have been looking forward to this. I know Linda's been looking forward to this. Our listeners have been looking forward to this. <laughs> yes. uh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the invitation. So, and anything we can do for you at the STEAM Center, we're, we're ready. Good. Well, and, you know, I've, I've uh, there are a couple of guys here in town who, I mean, just go back to the, all the resources we've got here. You know, the ham, I was invited to speak to the Ham Radio Club, and it looks like those, those folks are real interested in, in sharing that knowledge with kids. We're talking to them about installing a, a, an antenna that they can bring a radio in, and the kids can talk to people all over the world. Oh, wow. And they can, mm-hmm. they can teach classes about electronics, about physics, and... Gosh, I mean, these guys are just, and gals are just here, and they read about the, the center and called us and said, "Gee, we want to, want to do something." We have so much talent in Mesquite, and so many pe- people willing to share their talents. I find that really yeah. unique. Yeah, and I I know a couple of guys now who have approached me and said, uh, "You know, back in the day, we taught in vocational edu- vocational." what they call it, vocational training schools. Mm-hmm. That's what we used to call trade schools. It's vocational education. Yeah, well, there's a couple of, maybe a couple of teachers that we could come and get in there. Sure. Well, we'll certainly be very happy to lend our knowledge to podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, not that we have years of experience. We have half a year. Apparently, the whole media thing is really interesting to the kids. And when we were when we first had the center, Judy thought that she was she almost pulled this off. She was trying to convince the library district to create a media room. And I didn't know what the hell that was. But Judy plowed on and it ultimately it didn't work out, but we're going to try to do what we can with it. Apparently that's a big deal teaching kid how to. I mean, my my son-in-law is a has a very profitable side business of DJing, and he's he's the DJ to go to if you're doing an event in Pinedale, Wyoming. Yeah, he's got a whole trailer full of gear, and you know you got a little iPod or something you want to uh-huh. have music put on it. He's your guy. That's great. I just saw, I was looking at the University of Las Vegas classes that they were offering, and they're offering a DJ really? class. Yes, I was teasing my kids, I, my sons. I said, should, should I sign up for this? <laughs> <laughs> they, they gave me lots of names that I could use. To. <laughs> oh, so, oh, so you're going that far, huh? Oh, Getting they the did, names? Oh, they were just having so much fun. With it, thinking so, about their mom being a DJ. So maybe next year at the disco ball, you can be the oh, DJ. I could if I took the class. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and had the equipment. So right, yeah, we're, right. We're sure going to try to set up at least the podcast stuff because the kids seem to really like that. And good. Um, Liz went up to the career day at the school, high school, the other day, and 
and she she always has really interesting ideas. I'm just sort of marvel at because it's just so not my generation, you know. Um, she had a little whiteboard, and she had the kids write down the kind of programs they wanted. Fortunately, it, it sort of coincides with the sort of things that we've been talking about. Yeah. So the teachers who have been coming through have have guided us, and Judy has guided us, because uh, Burton and I sure as heck didn't know what we were doing. Other we were doing the physical part of it, but time for us to move them move aside and bring the educators in. It's going to be a fun place, and like I said, a bright, shining star. Yeah. yeah. So, George, thank you. Thank you, George. This yeah. was a lot of fun. My pleasure. And we'll have, we'll have you back next year to, uh, oh, it's almost next year. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have you back next year to, to give us a, an update. Actually, we also want to go grab Liz for a podcast. Yes, you should. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And maybe next year, George, will share a secret or two. And, and 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 Judy, and yeah. Bert, you yeah. know they're they're both interesting people. Well, Judy was scheduled, but she's I think they're a little shorthanded there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she said, "Could we do it in January?" She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. She yeah. does just a wonderful job there. Yeah. And of course, whose facility are we sitting in right now? Yeah. Right. The Library Learning Center. All right. Thanks, George. You bet. Well, Steve, this has been really an interesting interview. I've learned so much about the history of Mesquite as well as what the future entails. George was really good, wasn't he? He was. He was. So, Steve, I have to ask you the question we always ask, what's inspired you this week? What's inspired me this week, Linda, is that overall we have some really good guests. We've got, we've had good guests, and we've got a lot of good guests coming up as well. They're telling us their story, and I like that we do the art, but then it always gets down to the heart. We're getting people, we're getting to know people, and we know where they come from. I was listening to the, the Joyce Redwick podcast the other day, and just how happy a person she is. And now if I go to her class again, Desert Doodles, that I know all about her. And it's it's just kind of nice, isn't it? Absolutely. We do get, we talk about the art as well as the heart. Yeah, the art and the heart. So that's it for this week. Thank you, George Galt, for coming in. Oh, I didn't ask you, did I? <laughs> that's okay. So, Linda, that was my boring what's inspired me this week. What's yours? Well, I was really inspired this week, Steve, because I actually made it up to Angel's Landing all the way to the top. The view was inspiring, but what inspired me most was my encouragement to go. Angel's Landing has always intimidated me, and I started thinking about a relative of mine who is fighting a great battle right now. And often, the, the greatest battles have to be fought alone. And you have to have the courage and determination to keep putting one foot in front of the other, no matter what you're thinking, no matter what's happening, what's going on. So that family member really inspired me to tackle Angel's Landing alone. I thought about her all the way up. That hike was for and with Kathy. And thank you, posted pictures. I did. Yes, and that's an amazing hike. It was. I'm, it was I'm, gl I'm glad you didn't do it alone. 
You had somebody, I did do it alone. I know, but you had someone in your heart. Oh, that's true. That's wonderful, Linda. I've always wanted to do that myself. I've been almost to the top. To Scouts Lookout? No, I've been to Scouts Lookout, and I've been along the chain. But ah, You know what? When I was up there, there were about 20 people that got past the first set of chains, and they stopped. I actually had the hike to myself, and there were only three of us at the top when I was there, which was really nice. That was pretty good. Because when I was there, it was crowded. There was, right. was a crowd along the chain. There was a line. The the uh, reservations uh, oh, make a big difference in that now. They make it a much safer. Is life. there someone that stamps your ticket at the top? Oh, at the bottom, you have to show your reservation, and then before you get on the chains, you have to show it again. Oh, do you really? They so they've got a ranger that's or a volunteer? They have two rangers that check you twice. Wow. Okay. But nobody up top to stamp you that says you did this. <laughs> no. <laughs> nobody at the top. <laughs> and no professional photographer. No professional photographer. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> but I believe you did it because you sent your picture. I believe you if you just told me. I had a, a somebody... Some random person just take my picture, so it worked out okay. Yeah, one of the other two There's people proof. that were up there. Right, right. There you go. And you probably took theirs. I did. There you go. Great podcast today. It was. Great having you back in town. Thank you. And off we go. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. 